Welcome in to another great edition of the Sports Roundtable, July the 9th, 2019. The Home Run Derby has ended last night, and we are heading into the All-Star Game tonight. This program is being brought to you by Three Guys Fitness in Reedsville. Mention you heard this ad on 96.7 WKMM K-Country and receive $5 off your initial membership fee. By Brouhaha, located in Prey Street in Kingwood, where the coffee beans are roasted in-house and the coffee is absolutely delicious. And by Parks Superstores, located in Brewston Mills, West Virginia, filling all your Kubota tractor needs. I got Kelly Campbell once again sitting alongside me off to my right. And we're here to talk the Home Run Derby. Kelly, I know uh, it's been a busy week for both me and you, but once again, we're able to convene here on Tuesday evening and talk sports. It's always an honor and a privilege, as I say all the time, Aaron. And uh, it's been hot and muggy outside, and uh, I'm looking forward to the stretch run uh, for the Pirates. And uh, this is always the time of year during the All-Star break that I always look forward to as a kid. Couldn't wait for that Home Run Hitters contest when it first uh came about and the all-star game was always fun for me to watch and always get to see your favorite players out there and players that you grew up as a little kid watching and admiring and so uh this year is going to be no different and uh we have a couple pirates again there josh bell that competed last night and uh went out in the first round with 19 home runs but uh something that he did much better than andrew mccutcheon and Pedro Alvarez when they had their opportunities, so he had more home runs in his round than some than Alonzo, who even won the contest where he only had 14 in his first round. But that's all he needed, as he uh, out hit 14 to 13 in his first round. But Josh Bell was respectable, and I'm um, looking forward to watching him play tonight as he's batting DH in the number six spot tonight for the National League. Hats off to Josh Bell. He did represent the Pittsburgh Pirates organization well in that contest. Unfortunately, he did not come up to win it, but there was better talent on on that stage at that moment. Pete Alonzo and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. battled it out in the championship round. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., everybody knows his father, a prolific home run hitter for the Los Angeles Angels, among other teams that he played for. But for me growing up, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. done something last night that I had not seen since Josh Hamilton hit 28 home runs in one round at Yankee Stadium. Uh, That was the last uh, home run derby and all-star game that was ever played at the old Yankee Stadium. But I remember watching that with my dad, just watching him belt those home runs into the third upper deck at Yankee Stadium. And then I just saw Guerrero just go on an absolute tear. It seemed like once he hit one ball and right before it landed, the next ball was in the air and it was going almost the exact same spot if you watch the home run derby i know many people did and you watched his spray chart that espn put out there he was strictly a pool hitter i don't think he hit one ball out to center it was all out to left field and in cleveland it's not that easy hitting it over that big wall out there because it's still a decent way out there plus you gotta get it over that wall so he was definitely crushing the balls you didn't see no 500 foot home runs that you saw in years past it's not a hitter-friendly ballpark. Now, if obviously they played in Toronto where the ball seems just to hop out of there or they played it at Coors Field, been a much different story. You could have possibly been talking about 550 home runs there, 550 to maybe even 600 monsters home runs. But nonetheless, it was an absolute show, and I enjoyed every minute of it. 29 home runs by Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in his first uh, time up, and he set the record right off the bat. So 29 home runs. He defeated uh, 
uh, or actually overcome Josh Hamilton's 28. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Yep. Josh Hamilton had 28 in a round. It wasn't uh, Josh Hamilton didn't even win that home run contest when he hit 28. No. Um, so, and and in the same way, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. The the irony here is uh, the two most home runs that was ever hit. Neither one of them became the champion. Uh, so, I was really rooting for the guy. Uh, uh, he uh, is no doubt the kid has. He's he's he would strong. Have been the youngest to win it if you would have won it. He is strong. He is. Uh, Athlete, his bat speed is is tremendous, and and hitting home runs. A lot of it is about bat speed, and uh, defending Josh Bell just a little bit. He had a tough time with his pitcher there. That uh, I think that Josh Bell's sweet spot is down and in, and a lot of the pitches was on the outside part of the plate, which made it a little harder for him to pull. Um, so you want to go dead center or pulling the ball, and uh, he was having a hard time, I believe, with his pitcher. So I, I think that the pitchers also have a big part to play. That's why it's important who you choose and that you practice. We talked about that a little bit earlier, that uh, you would practice with your pitcher to make sure that that pitcher knows exactly where you want that ball. And you know, So it's glorified, as you said earlier, too, glorified batting practice. Well, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. practiced weeks up with his pitcher, for that home run derby and a home run derby alone. I saw him practicing in the Rogers Center on Instagram and Facebook where that's that ballpark was absolutely empty. It was on a day I don't even think the Blue Jays are playing, but he was just crushing them out, just practicing, just hitting them left and right out. And I had that vibe that he would do something good. That kid hit a total of 91 home runs in that home run derby, and he did not win it. He hit 29 in the first round, and then he hit 40 in the round against Jock Peterson when they were doing the swing-offs. So, I mean, that's just an absolute astronomical amount. That kid's only hit eight home runs so far in his major league in his young major league career and only 44 total in the minor leagues. And he goes off and hits 91 in the span of two hours. Well, it's a whole lot different when you're, again, basically having batting practice than it is facing uh, live pitching at well, well, yeah. 90 to 100. But the bottom line is it's the, like I said, I think you have to have the right type of swing when it comes to a home run hitters contest because we talked about it earlier. Andrew McCutcheon had as much bat speed as anybody, but he had a hard time with the timing. So some of these guys that's just up there, you know, waiting for that 90-some-mile-an-hour fastball, um, they have a harder time adjusting. But uh, this kid didn't have no problem at all. Um, getting up there and making it look easy. And the thing is, it's not easy. And the amount of swings that he took, there's no doubt that he was winded. He was gassed when it came to the finals. And Alonzo, the first two rounds did not have to go to extra time. And that extra time is, if you watch Major League Baseball and the Home Run Hitters Contest, if you hit home runs, two home runs, of 440 foot or further, you get an extra 30 seconds. And Alonzo didn't need that extra time, which was extra swings, would have been extra swings. So when it come to the championship, there was no doubt he was more rusted than Vlad Guerrero Jr. And I think that paid off for, for, for Alonzo. And in the long run, he again, we uh, talked about his salary. What's his salary, Aaron? $550,000. $550,000. And so basically, he just got two years pay almost, 100000 short by winning the Home Run Hitters Contest and gaining a $1 million reward for the Home Run Hitters Contest. He is not taking all of that $1 million. Pete Alonzo did say before the Home Run Derby, and he said it once again as soon as he won the Home Run Derby, Derby that 15% of it was going to one, I believe, was the Wounded Warriors Fund, and another one was another one to help out veterans as well because he said in his interview, and it, it spoke volumes, I'm sure, to a lot of servicemen and women about He's like, you know, a bad day for me on a ball field is nothing for a bad day for them out there in the field. So he's like, if I can do anything just to help them and I get to play a game that I love, he's like, 
He's like, it helps. I, I wish more people had that approach because uh, I know there's a lot of them out there and there's a lot of players that do give to charities and uh, and different organizations. So uh, kudos to him for, for making that statement prior to. And then and I'm believing that he will hold up his end of the bargain and do so. But if more professional athletes would take the time, and like I said, I know many do, so I'm not saying they don't, but uh, what better organization than to uh, to give to the wounded veterans and to anything that does with the protecting the freedom in our country. And Aaron, you know about that as well as anybody. So uh, uh, again, hats off to uh, Pete Alonzo on his victory and for giving a donation where it's rightly deserved. 15%, $150,000 going to those organizations. Now that's a lot of money for a lot of people like me and you. It and sure I is. mean, I, I personally, at the time before he won, I was like, you know, I really want to see Vlad Guerrero Jr. win because this kid would have been the youngest in history to win the home run derby. But then once Pete Alonzo won it and he said what he's going to do with the money, I was like, you know what, that guy's deserving as anybody. Granted, he didn't hit the total amount of what Vlad Guerrero Jr. hit. He just beat him when it mattered because uh, Guerrero's stamina wore down by a championship round and Pete Alonso having so much rest time and from not hitting near as much home runs was able to overcome his amount yep. and essentially hit a walk-off to win the home run derby. And it was just such a glorifying moment for that kid, and he said something he'll remember for the rest of his life winning it. And if that kid keeps the mentality that he's got, that he won that home run derby, derby he's definitely a guy I think you could root for no matter what team he plays for yeah. if he if he keeps that right mindset. A lot of young kids there with uh, Alonzo and uh, Chapman and uh, Guerrero Jr. Uh, as well as uh, Acuna Jr., um, who, again, is the one who defeated Josh Bell 25-19. to 19. Um, What Peterson, wow. All I can say is, and, and to be honest with you, after I saw the first round, I thought that Peterson, being a lefty, might have the advantage there. And, of course, you had the hometown guy there, Santana, for Cleveland, and he was defeated in that first round, 14-13 to 13 by Alonzo. So, um, but, anyway, what, what a great show for all the players last night. And, again, a lot of these kids are young and looking forward to the future of uh, Major League Baseball when it comes to some of these kids and uh, having the right attitude, as Alonzo did, with, uh, again, making a donation. You can't ask for no more than that. Definitely, and I mean, the Home Run Derby, it means something to those guys because a million dollars, whether you're a major league player or not, to have a million dollars just right there to win that, that beats a lot of people's salary for a couple months in the major leagues. So I think the Major League Baseball does well with the All-Star Game and the Home Run Derby, putting some incentive behind it to make those players give it their all. That's part of the reason the Pro Bowl and all the other major sporting leagues their their all star weekends and Pro Bowl and whatever you want to call it don't merit enough listener or viewership because they know those players don't care when they go out there. They know there's no incentive for them to go out there. I remember used to the Pro Bowl, it kinda meant something because it was played after the Super Bowl, but then Roger Goodell put it the week before the Super Bowl because there's that two week break between the AFC and NFC Championship game to the Super Bowl. So he's like, well, let's just put it a week before. So if, say, your player, let's just say Ben Roethlisberger, all of a sudden is having a stellar year, and he's going to play in the Pro Bowl, but they go to the Super Bowl, Ben Roethlisberger's not playing in the Pro Bowl because he's risking injury in the Pro Bowl for a game that doesn't matter. 
and missing out on his team's biggest game. Well, that's true, but this day and age it wouldn't matter anyway because it's basically become glorified flag football when it comes to that. So I'm one of those people who has definitely jumped off board when it comes to the AFC NFC Pro Bowl game, uh, NBA basketball games because there's no defense being played. It's basically out there as entertainment value, and I understand that part of the sport as well now. It's becoming about entertainment. But I agree with you, the home run hitters contest and the all-star game. So baseball, Major League Sports, baseball is the one that is definitely – uh, still in the running for keeping my attention, and as it did last night and will tonight, uh, as I get an opportunity, hopefully, to watch some of this game tonight with my dad. And what better way to enjoy family uh, value and uh, time together than to be able to sit down in the summertime and watch Major League Baseball and the All-Star Game. So I'm looking forward to the All-Star Game tonight. And again, like I said, Josh Bell will be hitting sixth in the DH position as a Pittsburgh Pirate representative. And also uh, Felipe Vasquez got the, the call and uh, – replaced a player that couldn't play so he will be there so two years in a row we have Vasquez at the all-star game definitely a guy who deserved it I always thought when because the pitchers are different than the position players the position players are voted on by the fans the pitchers are what the managers want to go to the all-star game so I thought Felipe Vasquez was snubbed at first didn't get it because he only blew one save the whole year he had like a 2.05 ERA, which even for a closer, that's that's a pretty good ERA. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. He's, I mean, he's a guy that's shown consistency. I think he's shown more consistency than we when we had Joel Hanrahan and Mark Melanson. Because even at the end when we traded Mark Melanson, I think he was starting to tail off from being a lights out closer. He was. Joel Hanrahan when he was in there, his first year as a closer. You could basically mark it down as a win when Joe Hanrahan came in, but there at the end, it seemed like every time he came in, it was iffy if we were going to win it or not, even if we were up by three. Yeah, both of those guys had a slider. When the slider wasn't working, it was a little bit different, but uh, Vasquez has an unbelievable fastball, and that cur- curveball coming in there, uh, the way he, with the speed that his curveball comes in, it's, he's a... Uh, He's one pitcher that a lot of people just does not want to face. So he's, uh, he's, he's throwing a curveball as fast as some major league pitchers throw yeah, their fastball. Almost, he does. He has a lot of velocity, and uh, I'm just I know that that's he's called the nightmare, and I know that it's a nightmare for a lot of batters to come up against Felipe Vasquez. So I, I feel fortunate as a Pirate fan that we have Vasquez. I know that he's made things interesting lately. He got a loss right before the All Star break. Uh, however, the Pirates are coming off an incredible two-game series with the Cubs and the Brewers where they took three out of four from the Cubs and two out of three from Milwaukee, which is the first series win all year. They were 2-11 and going into that series against Milwaukee, so they are now 4-12 and against the Brewers. So that's the teams, the Cubs and the Brewers, that in the second half that the Pirates are going to have to overcome, as well as St. Louis, who's still ahead of them. And Cincinnati's also made a push. So the Pirates have came from 8.5 back, Aaron, to only 2.5 out. Now, one thing about it is we've talked about the inconsistencies. We've talked about the injuries. But all along in these podcasts, one thing I've always stated, I am still amazed that the Pirates are hanging. And not only did they hang, they won again these two series against the Cubs and the Brewers to get themselves within two and a half games uh, of first place going into the second half of the season. I, you can't be, you can't ask for any more. And uh, who would have expected uh, Brian Reynolds to be as well as he's done? Newman has played above and beyond any expectation as well. Colin Moran in his second season with the Pirates is playing great. Uh, Elias Diaz is is being great behind the plate, but his batting average is coming up, it seems like, every week. Um, so in all honesty, 
And Marte has his games. I mean, he's he's still a superstar, but yet sometimes he plays like it, sometimes he don't. But uh, with all the devastating injuries to the pitching staff, the Pirates have become an offensive machine. Well, they were last year. They they went on that tear last year where they were one heck of an offensive machine, but then all of a sudden what happened? The bats went cold in August, and that was the Pirates' downfall last year. The thing that amazes me about the Pirates, and just to caveat of what you said, is the Pirates have been decimated by injuries this year. Starling Marte got hurt in that um, collision, collision with Eric Gonzalez. Eric Gonzalez is still on the shelf on the DL. Jamison Tyon, he's on the 60-day DL. And our pitching staff has Trevor been Trevor so, Williams has been out a good bit. Um, been so inconsistent. This was a team where they were built on pitching, and it's the offense that's carrying them now. And they're being carried by people they didn't think they were going to be carried by. You're being carried by Brian Reynolds that before this season, pretty sure you didn't hear of the guy. I only knew of him because he came from the McCutcheon trade, but I didn't expect him to make the impact that he's making. Absolutely Melky, not. Melky, Nobody Melky, did. Melky Cabrera's hitting over 300, and he yeah. came in on a minor league invite with, to spring training. He's a guy that's a, a great yeah. backup in the outfield. You got Gung, who can hit a home run off the bench when he can, but I think that was one guy we were banking on. My dad did say Gung was going to be the dark horse this year, and yeah, he was wrong on that one. But he well, still provides power well, when needed. Polanco, eh, yeah, mm-hmm. he's just not there this season. But Josh Bell, I remember we talked a year before that Josh Bell had to do something this year. 27 home runs before the All-Star break. This guy is on pace to hit over 40 and even 50 if he gets on a I'm not even looking at that as much as I see the RBIs. He had a 15 uh, RBI lead, I believe, going into the final He must have 100 RBIs going uh, into Amazing. It. Absolutely amazing from the time. You know, I've been a, a, a big league fan of the Pirates since I was probably 8 years old. I'm 50 now, and I don't know that I've ever seen a better half of baseball than what I've seen from Josh Bell. So it scares I, I, me. Though. I, I'd like to see it. I agree because he's done so well. It makes you wonder: Can he do the same thing? Can he even come close? If he does, comes even close to doing what he did the first half, he's going to have astronomical numbers. And I, I'm just amazed at the kid right now. And uh, I, I just hope he keeps up this pace because it's amazing right now. Not only does it scare me that the pace that he is on. But he is the Pirates' offense. I mean, you can say Brian Reynolds, Kevin Newman, all of them have kept the Pirates where they are. It takes a team, absolutely. I mean, it's a team effort. But where would this team be without the even the amount of production that he's getting? If they, if he had, say well, he, he only say he only had 15 home runs right now and half the RBIs, I guarantee you. No, we would NL, be 10 games back. Yeah, that's a, that's exactly mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Yeah. So if you are solely relying upon Josh Bell and his production, I think the Pirates are playing a catch-22 there. Uh, well, the good thing that I saw the other day with you speaking that was they had a 12-2 to win, and Josh Bell never had a hit. And so when I see that, that's when I really think, you know, that is awesome to know that you have other players, though, that's, that's surrounding him. That is really, I mean, the offense, like I said, let's keep looking at their averages. I mean, after every game, it seems like someone is increasing their average by three to four or five. You know, and after you get so many bats, it's hard to increase it like that. But Kevin Newman and Colin Moran both had a five-hit game in the same game. And then not long after, they both had games where they both had four hits. So Colin Moran and Kevin Newman, and, and again, Diaz, Diaz off the bench, or I'm sorry, as a starting catcher now, has has been doing a wonderful job. And even Stallings is coming off the bench, and he's hitting everything. 
300 as a backup catcher. So you can't ask for any more than what's going on. Dickerson uh, coming off the, the disabled list, he's starting to pick it up a little bit as well. So then you can actually go put in. Uh, there's days that Reynolds sits, that Cabrera comes in. There's days that Dickerson sits. And I know that he just had an is- issue with his groin. So hopefully he will come back strong and be ready. But if not, you've still got Marte in center and Reynolds in right and, uh, you know, Cabrera or Reynolds in left and Cabrera in right. It don't matter. Right now, they've got, well, got Dickerson, good too. That's what I'm saying. If Dickerson's hurt, because right now he's got a, a groin issue. He came out of the game uh, on Sunday. I don't know if you... Well, Dick, well, Dickerson, I mean, he hasn't been as steady this year. But then, again, he's been hampered by injuries this yeah. whole year. But he also had a four-hit game here in, in one of those games against the Cubs. So, you know, he, he gets back in his timing and gets his timing down with the bat. Uh, I think Corey Dickerson is as good a hitter as, as anyone on the team as well. So... I am really, truly looking forward to the bats. And I, I for one, as well, was said that early in, uh, with your dad here, uh, one of the first podcasts that we did, that we was going to be based off of pitching. But uh, right now it's not through pitching because the ERA overall is not very well for the Pirates. Uh, but their batting average and their run scored and RBIs and all that stuff, they're right up there in the top of the National League. The NL Central has to be the most tightly contested division in all of baseball i mean you said the pirates are only two and a half games back the pirates are only two and a half games back the nl central lead is only four and a half games out of reach for any of those teams that that being the reds who are only four and a half games back the pirates are one game under 500 the cardinals are at 500 and the cubs are only four above 500 so, I mean, the NL Central, it's up for grabs. I know we've said it years in the past, and it seems like that every year, but it seems like the Pirates never come to full speed, and they never take the advantage when it's there. But It makes it fun. I mean, I think that anybody that is a baseball fan, what, what more could you ask for to have all five teams within four and a half games of each other? I mean, that makes it fun. And especially the Pirates. I mean, we're, we're blessed with the, way the, with the injuries the Pirates have to see as competitive as the teams were. Now, I know we talked like the Pirates got blasted by the A's at one time, and we're like, wow, they got blasted last night, but then they turn around and they win the next two. So, I mean, like you said, a loss is a loss, and just because you get blown out one night doesn't mean you're going to get blown out again the next night. Yeah, I've, I've always been that way since I was a young kid. I, I know mean, you and I have talked about it a lot. That you, you can win one to nothing, or you can, you can win – 20 to 1 and it doesn't matter a win is a win is a loss is a loss i mean it doesn't do anything other than gives people like you and i something to talk about so the bottom line is you got to have that winning percentage where it needs to be you got to have enough victories to either win your division or get in the wild card and right now the pirates are not only in contention for first place in their division uh they're also in contention if they don't win the division because nobody's running away with the wild cards right now either when it comes to right now if the season ended Philadelphia and Atlanta would be the two wild cards, so there would be three teams out of one division. Uh, I always look at that stuff, even though it's way, way too soon. But I look at that just to see where the Pirates are at as of this point in the season. But there's a whole bunch of teams all jumbled up right there when it comes to the two wild card spots as well. Do you think that Bob Nutting or Neil Huntington's plan is actually coming to fruition, or they just hit it lucky? Boy, that's a tough one, Aaron. I mean, uh you know they've been bashed all year. Um, we everybody talks about the fact that they're not buying, that they don't have the money, they're not pulling their their wallets out. Um, I just think it's a, a group of kids that 
Uh, you know, and, and then also there's been a lot of people talk about Clint Hurdle, including myself. And when I say myself, I'm not saying that I don't like Clint Hurdle as a man. Uh, I've always said that I think the Pirates need to, uh, they, you know, they've been bashing home runs this year, but I've always thought that situational baseball, Tony LaRusso to me was the best manager I've ever watched play. Of course, it's a division rival when he was the manager of the Cardinals. I would definitely still like to see the Pirates uh, – situational situations as bunning um runners on third base with less than two outs getting them home there's still a lot of times i don't see that but i think it's a group of kids that decided to go out there young kids with a passion with enthusiasm uh we do not have a veteran team we have a young team and it's a bunch of young kids that's going out there and and saying we can win so do i give credit to nutting or um who else we neil huntington neil huntington yeah i need to i was got tongue-tied um I, I, it's a combination of, of all of it and and also hurdle uh just taking a bunch of kids and and saying hey you can do this i think that he's a good encourager i think he's a motivator um but like i said i'd still like to see i'd still personally like to see more sacrifice bunts and and moving runners from first to second second to third with you know less than a, whenever there's nobody out especially so when you get a leadoff double um uh, whenever you saw tony larusa manage that runner almost always scored from if you got a leadoff double, that guy was going to be moved to third, and usually they'd get him somehow, some way. Not 100% of the time, but I still think that situational baseball is what the Pirates need to get better at. Well, I think Hurdle just takes a different stance. I mean, I th- Hurdle focuses a lot more when it comes defensively. I think he does a lot more of the shifts and stuff like that, and he does a lot more by the numbers. That's why uh, a lot you'll see – players out there you're like why is this player batting in this place why is this player batting here why isn't adam frazier batting tonight when he's hit like three home runs in like four out of his last four games i think hurdle plays a lot off the numbers of the pitchers and how players are percentage wise against pitchers left-handers right-handers numbers against certain matchups i think hurdle tries to put the i don't have a problem with that i mean not, not at all i'd be the same way as a manager but i still think that we need to be able to control the bat a little better and move runners in, in the situations, giving himself up whenever there's, again, a runner on second, uh, hitting a ground ball to the right side. Those type of things are the things that I just love to see when it comes to baseball and winning baseball. And many times the difference in a game is going to be one run. If you look at the one-run games, that a lot of times can be decided just by the placement of a bunt or somebody giving himself up rather than try to pull the ball than to hit the ball to the right side of the field to see that run advance from second to third. Those are things that I personally, you know, as an old-school guy, like to see. Oh, definitely. I mean, I would like to see the Pirates come more situationally aware of, of what's going on. And instead of thinking, oh, I could hit a three-run homer here if running right. on first and second, no outs, or you could bunt them over, give yourself up, get that one out, and you have now a runner, two runners in scoring position with only one out. Absolutely. And you got your four-hole hitter and, coming and you, up the And bat. you take the double play out of play. Definitely. And, and those are the things that I'd like to and see. how many times does that kill a Pirates oh, Many, many, play? Aaron. That's, what I, that's the, one of the biggest things is I've watched games over the years with my dad um, and seeing, again, runners on second and third or whatever, nobody out, or first and third, one out, and rather than see a fly ball, a guy tries to pull it, hits it right at the shortstop, and do- easy double play. So, you know, even trying to just lift the ball whenever you know that there's a situation where there's a run on third and less than two outs, you got to get that run in, whatever it takes to get it in. So you got to give up uh, sometimes trying to pull that ball and get the, the big hit just to, to get a fly out deep enough to score that run. And so those are the things that I still think that the Pirates need to work on. But, again, I'm going to say this once again. I'm amazed <laughs> that they're only two and a half games out, so you got to give them credit for their – uh, 
perseverance. Uh, they're they're just hanging. They're hanging, and that's all we could ask at this point. You couldn't have asked for no more. If you'd have told me, especially when they went eight and a half out, if you'd have told me that at the All Star break the Pirates going to be two and a half out of first place, I would have probably, if I was a betting man, I'd have probably bet some money that that wouldn't be the case. I think I would have took you up on that bet. And I don't think I would have betted you that because early on the Pirates looked like a train wreck waiting to happen. Especially with their season, I was expecting at some point in the season this would be another hundred loss season. The way they were playing yeah. at certain points in this season, so. the Pirates of which find themselves in a predicament in one aspect when it comes to one player, and in a way it could turn into being dead money. Not saying nothing against the player, but Francisco Cervelli says he is done catching. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I almost forgot about it. We did talk about it a little bit earlier. Uh, Francisco Cervelli, I believe, has had seven concussions. Is that correct? Yep. Seven concussions just in the last, what, couple, this couple Ever of since years. he's caught. Every, okay, well, that's over a period of time. But either way, uh, we know that through the NFL testing of players who passed away that played contact sports, that concussion syndrome um, is no doubt something that causes problems within the brain. So Francisco Cervelli has come out in an interview saying that he is willing to play any position. However, as we talked earlier, I just don't see that there is a position uh, that Cervelli will be able to play right now that's going to actually help the Pirates. So I don't know what your thought of that is, but uh, he's 33 years old. His knees are, are in bad shape from catching, as well as, again, his, all the, the brain trauma that he's taken from concussions. So we've spoken to, I don't even know that he could go and be trade bait uh, into an American League team. Um, unless they need, you know, could he play first or third or, or a right field position? To me, that's the only three spots that I see him that he could play. And is he going to be productive enough? I don't think that he's a DH. I don't think he has that type of production or power that you need for a DH in the American League. So I, I got a feeling that Cervelli's career is winding down. Well, and I mean, where would you put him at in the lineup with the lineup hitting this well? Do you want to put a, would you put a veteran in the lineup just saying, no. based off of your name, based off of what you've done in your career, you know what, we're going to give you shots at right, first, and third. When you got Reynolds hitting hot, Bell hitting hot, yeah, Moran. That's, there's no room. That, there's just no room right but now. You can't, but you can't release him because of his salary. Because if the, if the uh, Pirates are like, we're not going to spend money, well, you can't release the guy if you're going to pay him over a million dollars to release him. You may him. not release him, but we're, again, all you can do is have another a guy off the bench. But right now, you talked about somebody off the bench when you mentioned Gung. But right now, we got a guy off the bench that has hit four pinch hit home runs. And Osuna's hitting over 300 with those four pinch hit home runs. So, uh, you know, you got Osuna sitting there. How do you send him back down with the production that he's made? He's I been think, a big I part. I think why don't you just send him down Cervelli? Well, that's that's what I'm send saying. Is sometimes you have to he'll, eat. He'll it. have to pass through waivers. You, you if he to. passes through waivers, sometimes and somebody you, claims him. Man, that just helps the Pirates. Yeah, yeah, sometimes you just have to eat it. I mean, in all honesty, there's there's people that, that over the years that's made moves that was good and made moves that was not good. Sometimes they've had to eat it. They just got to eat the salary. Bobby Bonilla, Bobby Bonilla, on July 1st every year. Until I think the year 2035, the Mets have to pay him $1.12 million. That's, that's crazy, but yet again, it is what it is. That's the, the world we live in today in professional sports. So, no, I, I, said, I, I, love, I love Cervelli as a man, as a person, as a competitor. Um, his, his competitive spirit is, you know, un, you know he and uh, uh, Rod Riggis that was here, you know, Serpico, uh, you just love to see the fight that they have in him. And anytime that there is a, a brawl, You'd see Cervelli 
be right in the middle of it. You know, Serpico is no longer a pirate either, but uh, I just loved his competitive spirit and his the camaraderie that he brings as a teammate. But in all honesty, I just think that his career is, is you know, I might eat my words someday because you can always have this podcast to look back, but I just think that Francisco Cervelli's career is winding down to an end. I, w- I would say the same thing. I don't think you'll see him in an MLB uniform in two years. It's sad to say with the fight the guy has and the great guy that he is on and off the field, it's just something that, I mean, you just don't have have it anymore. I mean, it's it's a business, and you do have to produce to stay in that league because only a very select few of individuals make it to the majors and make it there and do good. Another guy who has not been consistent but is a very nice guy very nice guy. He does stuff for the kids all the time. He's always reading books to him. He, he has a great foundation. Chris Archer, a guy who hasn't done well, but coming out of this All-Star break, he will pitch on Friday night against the Chicago Cubs. And I think I think Chris Archer is a huge cog in the Pirates season if he can turn it around. I, if he, I, if he can agree. go out there and give you six strong innings, two runs or less, I think he's something that could really make the Pirates a force to be reckoned with come August and September. I, for one, am not one that's ready to give up. Uh, I know there's a lot of fans disgruntled over the Archer trade. Um, and, again, it's because of the production that's happening in Tampa Bay. However, uh, like I said, I think that the, the kid can go out there. What you need is a starting pitcher that's consistent to give you those six or seven innings and give him a chance to win. That's all you can ask for from a starter. His ERA is inflated. He's given up more home runs, I think, than any starting pitcher in the National League this year, if I'm not mistaken. not positive of that, but I'm pretty sure he's number one. So he's going to have to basically – he's going to have to start hitting corners, Aaron. He's got to go inside, outside, and hit, hit the corners up and down because a lot of times whenever he's getting hit hard, he's just basically bringing that fastball right down the middle with no spin. You know, we, we gotta, he's got to have a little sink on that fastball and, and hit the corners. And if he can do that, and I'm sure that during this all-star break that the pitching coaches as well as Clint Hurdle is going to get together and talk to him because they're going to basically break down the first half of the season. And so he's just going to have to stay out of the middle of the plate because almost every home run that I'm seeing is grooved. And when I say grooved, they're just, it's dead center. So, you know, a good pitcher is going to hit the corners. They're going to go up and down in the strike zone and make them guess. You just cannot groove them, even on a 3-2 count. You still got to be able to to go in and outside the strike zone. The game we went to, both home runs that he gave up were absolute blast out the center field. And I think they both went out into the Pirates' ivy out there. Yep. One was by the Brewers catcher, who was hitting under two hundred for the year and only had like two home. I think I think he had six home runs and he absolutely crushed it out to deep center. Yep. And then Jesus Aguilar. Was the other Jesus Aguilar hit the three-run homer that made it interesting at the time because the Pirates were only up six to four yeah. at the time, or they were up six to one. He hit that three-run homer, and we're like, "Oh, here we go again." Well, uh, and again, Aguilar hit two home runs just recently. They just inserted him back in the lineup after Cincinnati shut Milwaukee out two games in a row, and Aguilar was reinserted into the lineup, and then he comes back into. Uh, Pittsburgh and hits two home runs again. So, you know, Aguilar had a great year last year, but this year he has not been as productive. It seems like the pitchers kind of studied what they did in all season. And but right now it looks like Aguilar's heating back up. And also there was an injury. I don't know if you've heard anything about the collision that happened in the Pirates game with the um, the shortstop and the second baseman. But uh, I know that Ar- Arcia 
uh, is a guy that's been killing the Pirates all year. So have you heard anything on the injury update with him? I have not. Because uh, if he's out from Milwaukee, that's going to be a big loss for Milwaukee because that kid has been a Pirate killer, and I believe he has two or three walk-offs against the Pirates this year. Or actually on the upper side, whenever they're playing in Pittsburgh, he's given the go-ahead home run or, or go-ahead hit. So that could be a big loss if – if he has any injury that's significant. So I haven't really heard anything on the update right now with Arcia from Milwaukee, but it could be a big blow to the Brewers. One thing I wanted to mention that I know we didn't talk about before we started doing this, I don't know if you saw what the Cincinnati Reds done. they done something that I've never seen any Major League Baseball team do in the history. It's something that I'm not a huge fan of, I really didn't like, and I, do, you know, do you know exactly what I'm talking about, Kelly? No, what, go ahead and fill me in. The Cincinnati Reds decided to wear their throwback uniforms, but sleeveless. Hmm. Meaning, it's not like they had sleeves at all, not like they had undershirts at all. Like, literally, they went out there and their full arms were showing. I, I for one, didn't like it. Not saying I don't like baseball players showing off their strength and everything, but I think, uh, to go back to the Major League movie, we wear caps and sleeves in this league here is exactly what uh, Indians manager done in the major league comedy with Charlie Sheen and all of them. I mean, he was, he was, he was making reference to the wild thing when uh, Charlie Sheen came up to pitch and he was wearing no hat and he was wearing a sleeveless shirt and pitching. I'm all about whatever a team wants to wear, whatever, whatever makes them happy. Uh, you know, I think that sometimes we get too caught up on a tire. The bottom line is, is what's underneath the Jersey and that's the heart and the ability that a player has. So, Sleeves, no sleeves, uh, you know, whatever, however they decide to, and choose to do so, I'm, I'm all for. Uh, I, I like to see changes there, and I'm, I'm all about change. I think that when people change, especially when you see kids today, they, they see something different, and you look at the NCAA with all these different uniforms. and um, I, So, I don't know, it looks like you know, if someone wants to uh, show the biceps and the triceps and the, the, what they have, maybe it'll be an intimidation factor. Something I it's something that I I'm more of a conservative person when it comes to baseball. I want to see the traditional uniforms. I want to see the white pirates jersey with the black lettering. I like the alternate uniform of the black pirates jersey with the gold lettering. I like the gray pirates jerseys. I like the Yankees pinstripes, and the Yankees only got two uniforms. The Red Sox only got like three uniforms. The Cubs are starting to mix it up with four uniforms. But I like the traditional look. I don't think you should go sleeveless. Sleeveless is for the NBA, I feel. Yeah, like I said, it just really don't matter to me. I mean, like I said, it is what it is, and people's going to do what they want to do anyway, and so it's going to be up to the owners. I want to generate, and I understand the MLB stance on it. It it brings up players' involvement. It may make the players' morale up higher. It makes morale higher for players, for fans, so it will bring involvement, viewership back, and it will bring more – intensity into the game because the players are like our thoughts are actually being heard so the players are going to put more involvement into the game and they're not going to just in a sense play for a paycheck even though that's exactly what they're doing i for one i just i for i just don't like it doesn't it's okay i, I mean like i, I said it, uh, i'm not saying nothing uh, mean but you go out there and you got a guy who's ripped but then you got a uh lanky clothes are going out there and yeah, I think it's all about production. Uh, you know, I, I see so many people that sometimes they look at a body. I mean, you look at the home run contest. 
and you see these guys that are, that are big and, and powerful, and then you know you see somebody else come up there. I'm, I'm going to use Christian Yelich. Uh, Christian Yelich did not; he chose not to be in the home run hitters contest. But the man has 31 home runs. When you look at his physical body, Aaron, do you see a home run hitter in no. Christian Yelich? No, not at all. So it's all about the ability again. So whether they have small arms, I was always told as a kid myself, I used to be, you know, I would lift weights and I'd do things, and it just seemed like I couldn't get the bulk that I'd like to have. And I had a coach that told me back then, um, you know, Bud Mayfield said, Kelly, you have long muscles. You don't have the short, compacted muscles. But he said, you're as strong as anybody. So it's not always about looking beefed up. It's about the ability you have. And, and baseball comes to a lot of it is about fundamentals and bat speed. You get that bat through the strike zone as Yelich does. You don't have to be a big, beefy guy to win the home run contest or to hit the most home runs in the major leagues so it's and all what, about and what if yelich would have played in a home run contest would it have been a totally different story it's a possibility again uh, you know you got a lefty and uh, i really thought that peterson might win it because of what you said about the wall in left field but uh and so being a lefty sometimes you think they might have an advantage because you have a shorter wall and right but uh but peterson's bat speed and uh, Yelich's bat speed and coming through the strike zone just the way they do. It's, you know, it's the same way as a golfer. You don't have to be a big guy to hit a drive 400 yards as long as you have correct form. So, uh, so as far as that goes, it's not really, again, to me, a big deal, but uh, it is what it is. And so I just want to see uh, guys go out there and give it their all and you know, give 100% every day. And it's a long grind when it comes to Major League Baseball. Especially when you're going into the dog days of summers like now. So. I mean, now is when the grind of the baseball season, the wear and tear of the injuries start to creep up a lot more because of how the baseball season drags on. It is a marathon. And just to kind of recap what we said, if you were to talk about the Pirates at the beginning of the season, if it wasn't a marathon, the Pirates would be nowhere near close. But since it's a marathon, you go through your ups and downs, the peaks and the valleys throughout the season. This is why this is how you show what a true MLB team is made of, the true character of the team, is how they're able to weather the storm at the moment and then come out when their moments are high. So, I mean. Well, no doubt about it. And then we're going to truly find out now because of the fact they're in contention. Now everybody's going to be looking for the trade deadline. Yeah, and that's, what, and that's <laughs> another thing. I think that's another thing. we got. We got to focus more on weeks ahead because the trade deadline is at the end of this month, early in August. And that's something every year the Pirates fans are always watching MLB Network waiting to hear the call that the Pirates got somebody, uh, somebody's name that means something, not somebody that you never heard of before. Well, it's kind of funny that there for a while we was wanting to get somebody that was going to be a corner outfielder or a third baseman, but now, now it looks like we're going to need pitching. So, you know, the Pirates have the offense right now if they can stay consistent in the second half, but it looks to me like that we need – we need some pitching. We need the bullpen as well as starters. So uh, we'll see what happens and whether the Pirates make any moves. And uh, I believe that you made a statement of either last week or I don't know when that you thought that maybe the Pirates will start unloading some of the players if they're out of it. Well, now that they're in it, but the thing is, will they be in it when it comes close to the deadline? It's all a matter of what we will see coming out of this all-star break and seeing if the consistency is there. Something I know a lot of players and fans worry about when it comes to terms of the All-Star game and the Home Run Derby is does the Home Run Derby mess up a Home Run hitter swing? How many times have you seen a Home Run champion win the Home Run Derby, but then it takes them a while after the All-Star weekend to get back into form to hit home runs again, to hit with power again, because they're so used to that Home Run Derby. Well, I think that's why they tell baseball players that you have to be careful and not go out and play softball. 
because you're, you're, you end up getting an upper swing. Um, so I, I don't know. I think that a good baseball player swings the bat solid and level through the strike zone. That's what produces the power. You know, a lot of times you heard him say last night during the game that a lot of these players let the pitcher bring the contact. And I've seen guys hit home runs. I mean, if you look at Gung, some of his home runs, he only has a half swing. Uh, a lot of times this balls that he'll actually uh, like guess on and it's because of the fact that there's so much velocity from the pitcher sometimes that the the velocity the pitch you know coming in coming off the bat uh, you don't even have to to have correct form if you got a pitcher throwing 100 mile an hour sometimes and, more and, speed and, from the pitcher helps that ball it, it does the, the velocity way. off the bat so now they even got that stat now Aaron they got how how quick the the ball comes off the bat um, and so a lot of times they're looking at uh, they're looking at those types of things and statistics now in the minors to see what exit a kid's going to do coming up. Yeah, exit, exit velocity. velocity. Things that they're having stats now that I never thought I'd ever hear of when I was a kid. And it, it, just, it just helps us media people understand Absolutely. the game more and be able to interpret it to people better saying this is what this means and this is why this person is doing so good. So good or so bad, because if you're only getting 70, 80 miles an hour coming off the bat, and that means you're probably hitting a lot of weak ground balls. So, um, And then there's a lot of guys that hit uh, line drives right at people. But they, I've always been told, you always heard it, it'll all weak itself out. You get those bloops to fall in at times, and then you might hit a screaming line drive that might be right at somebody. So it all equals out in the long run. Definitely. But I think that runs our time up for this evening, Kelly. It was a pleasure talking with you again with sports. I'm sure we'll talk again next week on Tuesday about whatever is hot topic in sports. I know the trade deadline is nearing. Mountaineers fall camp is coming up. Looking forward to that. 53 days, I do believe, until game day at Milan Pushkar Stadium against James Madison University. You get to see the new era of Neil Brown unveiled. I know uh, the PR guy for the Mountaineers is uh, putting a lot of pictures of the stadium out there trying to get the fans hyped up for game day i know i will be there i'm excited for it uh mountaineer football is one of my favorite times of the year it brings me into the fall season where you got hunting you got mountaineer football you got the beginning of penguins hockey in october not an nfl fan this year i'm just taking a step back this year it used to be uh maybe about 10 or 15 days from now i'll be heading up to latrobe to watch the steelers and uh and their practice camp and all the preseason activities that they do with the fans mm. but Interesting, Aaron. I'm not I'm not doing it this year. <laughs> oh, okay. So I thought you were going to tell me you was going. Normally uh, I would. Now, if I got an invite from one of the players, I may change. I may go back on my word a little bit uh, if I had a chance to go up there and meet know. with the players. Aaron's been a little upset when it comes to some of the situations that occur in the NFL, and I think you're not the only one. There's I'm been not. I'm not uh, many fans are getting a little disturbed when it comes to players and their actions and their ways. And, uh, and, and I, too, again, I've already kind of – Backed off a little when it comes to the NFL, and uh, I'm a big college fan. But you know, like I said, when it comes to Major League Baseball, I still have one beef, and you know that when it comes to the the, uh, the amount of money and the salary cap. But uh, but overall, I'll watch the boys of summer until football, college football starts, and uh, you know, and if the Pirates are still in it, then I'll definitely keep a tab on the Buckos so that we can bring you all the information that right here on the Sports Roundtable at 96.7. But uh, fall is my favorite time of year as well. I look forward to the, the weather cooling down and the leaves starting to change. And you know that when that happens, it is time to get in a tree stand and it's time for Mountaineer football. 
And I want I want to make something clear as everybody's like I love this weather I love this hot temperatures not I, me. I love the summer I love going to the beach I am one who is not like that I I absolutely cannot stand the heat I cannot stand even seventy five degrees I like more thirty five forty cold where you can see my breath I can always put an extra winter jacket on to keep warm summer. I just can't escape the heat. I cannot stand the heat. I, I love seeing my 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 wife my wife's family down in Peru, but when I go down there in December, it is summer down there, so it is a constant ninety degrees. You wake up sweating and you go to bed sweating, and I absolutely cannot stand the heat. I like the cold temperatures. I'm that not polar, in. I polar vortex last year when it was negative twenty. I loved it. Loved uh, every minute. Of I it. can't say I like that. I like it 65 degrees consistent, 65 to 70, no humidity because, uh, you know, it's it getting a little older. But when I was young, if it was 100 degrees and humid and I was playing sports, it didn't matter. I was out there and I loved it and loved to compete. So it's still, it's just an honor and a privilege again to be here with you and talking sports of uh, any nature and uh, look forward to uh, each and every week that we do so. But again, I'm looking forward to uh, the, the fall coming up in Mountaineer football. And again, remember, the James Madison Dukes are no slouch coming in this year. So if you just automatically are assuming already for a win, they are ranked number two. I spoke that last week on the podcast. They're number two in the FBS. Um, so don't think that James Madison is going to come in and just roll over for the Mountaineers. And I'm thinking we're going to try to have a pre-pre-game show to the Sports Blitz. The Sports Blitz will start somewhere in the middle of August. I want to even have uh, the podcast show the week before focusing on the upcoming Blitz, even giving some insider picks to what we're going to pick on the Blitz, and then kind of giving our thoughts and maybe even bringing our in-house guest Chris Westfall in for that show to kind of help... yeah, that'd to be good. To publicize yeah. his show yeah. and to kind of co-mingle these two shows yeah. together because we yeah. are in one station. We do all work together, multiple platforms. You can Absolutely. find him on Twitter. His name's Chris Westfall on Twitter. You can find Kelly Gamble on Twitter as well. Kelly KG3. Kelly Gamble KG3, if I do believe, on Twitter. KG3. And me, you can find at AaronHost97 on Twitter. Weeks to come, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. I'm going to be bringing in Preston High Coaches to talk about their upcoming season, local sports, and we'll be bringing those in. So we may have even multiple episodes Uh, in a week drop. With that being said, too, the Preston High Knights won the 7-on-7 competition. I know that's without pads, but uh, from what I hear, Coach Tennant is uh, definitely uh, revving it up, and uh, there's some uh, bigger expectations. Those kids was very, very young last year, probably one of the youngest teams in the state of West Virginia. So uh, they have a lot of young talent coming back with experience. And uh, so, you know, even though they're still young, they have a year's experience. So uh, those freshmen that played last year, which there was many, freshmen and sophomores, they're going to be uh, this year, they're going to be sophomores and juniors and seniors. So I'm looking forward to the Preston High Knights team um, this season. And uh, Neil Waldeck and myself will have those games uh, starting with the, the game at Hampshire. And so we'll see what happens with Preston High night's football this year as well as many other exciting press and high sports so many things are heating up here at the radio station we're going out of the dead months of july and we'll be heading into august where everything starts heating up you got press and high football you got fall sports you got the mountaineers you'll have mountaineer basketball in october and november hunting season you just got so many things that are and, right around the corner and, and also uh, west virginia women's basketball will be aired here uh, mountaineer baseball for the first time on 96.7 they had an excellent season and had eight draft picks which every one of them has signed 
uh, and West Virginia women's basketball will now be airing on 96.7 this year, so you can have that to look forward to as well. So 96.7 is revving up for Mountaineer Sports. Definitely is, and you can catch us out. If you cannot stream, if you cannot catch us on your radio, wherever you're at, you can always listen to us at www.kcountryradio.com. Just click the Play Now button, and you'll be able to listen to 96.7 K Country live from wherever you are. we got so many things going on here at the station, Facebook, Twitter. You can contact us whenever, wherever, if you want to hear something. If you've got any suggestions for our shows, just let us know. You can always find us out there. You can find us on our website. Our Twitter handles are all on our website. As well as Facebook. And definitely on Facebook. We've got a new Facebook page up and running. So definitely want to bring our fan involvement into this. And once again, it's been a pleasure talking to you guys. And I'll talk to you guys again next week.